Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. Well, as you've heard a couple times mentioned already, today is a big day in the life of our church of celebrating two years of quite frankly, surviving um, COVID. I mean, we, you know, we, were, we were just six months old when it all hit, and we went online for as long as we had been around. And so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm so thankful for where we're at and the things that God has done. And I actually just want to take a second and just acknowledge uh, those of you that have been with us since um, we were in the core team who, because this is not, this, this, is a, this has been a team effort all the way. So if you were with us and a part of the core team, um, would you just stand at this time? There's a few of you that are, yeah. So let's give these people a round of applause, yeah. Um, and so many others, so many others. But I did want to acknowledge them just as those that um, have been with us since, since day one. Um, so we are in a, a four-part series. Today is part three, and we're simply looking at Christ. There's so many different places in the Bible that we could go to look at uh, different aspects of who he is, different titles of his, uh, but we've narrowed it down to four. We started with Jesus, our Savior. Uh, I feel like it was a fitting place to start because Jesus' name literally means God is salvation. Like that at his essence is who Christ is. That's what he came to do. God as man, making a way for us to be restored to him, have our sins forgiven, rescuing us. So we looked at that, and then last week David led us through a time of looking at John 9, uh, with Jesus as our Lord. So not only is our Savior, but he's also, he's our master. He's the one who gave his life up for us and then says, come and do the same thing for me. I laid down my life for you, um, so lay down your life for me. Surrender to me, follow me, take up your cross daily um, and obey me. But that's, those aren't the only two images. Like I said, there's so many places we could go, but one of the other key images, I think, that Christ gives us of himself and of his relationship that he wants with you, that he wants with people, is that of a friend. Now, depending on, you know, your spiritual journey and maybe your tradition of kind of, if you grew up in the church, what tradition, that kind of thing, you may have, you know, a different response to that. You may have, you may be a little more resistant to that idea or you might be, that might be a little bit more of a welcomed idea to you. Um, but nonetheless, that's, that's what we're looking at today. This audacious thing that Jesus has to say that he would call you his friend. So that's what we're looking at today, that Jesus calls us his friend. He's, he's, one thing I love about Jesus, he's constantly surprising us, and he's constantly, if you look closely at the Gospels especially, he is constantly challenging the status quo about almost everything. I mean, the, the kingdom and way of Jesus is almost completely upside down from everything that's natural and expected to us. And this is one of those things that you could look at the Bible and, and you, you can see how clear it is that, um, that God is holy, that we're sinners, and yet there would also be made a way for that God with us as people who have resisted him for him to actually want to be our friends and to actually 
go so far as to make us into his friends. So uh, today we're just we're going to look at this in two sections. Um, the first section is this, not servants, not servants. That's section one. Section two, but friends, not servants, but friends. That's kind of at the heart of this passage, John 15, 12 through 17, where Jesus is challenging a status quo. He's, he's pressing into attention of the natural inclination of the human heart to relate to God. And then he's stretching it to see that because of his finished work, he has so much more room for you, so much more depth that he wants to go with you um, to not only be a servant, but to actually be his friend. So the first section, not servants. Um, just to put John 15 and the past we're looking at in a little bit of context, uh, John 13 through 20 is what is called the farewell discourse. What that means is this is Jesus' last words to his community, to this new community of his disciples that he is developing, that now if you claim the name of Christ, you are also now part of this community that he is addressing directly. And he's addressing them right before he is to be executed, to be killed, to die on the cross, and then ultimately to raise from the dead. But these are the last things, and there's, I mean, it takes up seven chapters. He's saying a lot of things, but uh, chapter 15 is kind of right at the center of it, and right before this, Jesus creates this amazing um, metaphor and picture for us to really latch onto of a vine and branches and fruit, and he's calling his disciples to abide in him. He's calling you to remain in him, and if you do that, you're like a branch connected to a vine that just naturally, organically bears fruit. Just as, you, as you're with him, you start to become more like him. He starts to rub off on you. He and his uh, power and his presence and his character starts to, uh, to work itself out like fruit through you. You know, just like an apple tree produces apples, right? It just, it just happens naturally. Um, and then we get here where Jesus is, um, he's pressing into this idea of he's wanting his disciples to go out on a limb with him and say that they're not just his servants, but they're also his friends. I want to reread for us verses 13 through 15 just to reacquaint ourselves with this. Verse 13 of John 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So there's a little caveat here with Jesus saying, no longer do I call you servants. Well, I mean, if you look at other parts of the New Testament, we are called servants. And he is, just as we saw last week, he's our Lord. He's our master. And so there is, that's also true. It's not like that whole imagery is completely gone, but you don't see it here. And so I want to just, you know, give this passage room to breathe and, you know, let it say what it's saying. Let Jesus Get his point across of what he's trying to get across, um, which is we're not primarily, you are not primarily a servant of his. That is not his desire, that is not the way that Jesus desires you to primarily see your relationship with him and that him is a master. 
I mean, you could, in kind of more contemporary terms, you could, you could say boss and employee. That, that kind of makes it connect a little bit more. That, that's what this is talking about. That he doesn't primarily see you as an employee of his, um, but he sees you as a friend. Um, there's, there's a few things. Jesus gives us one of, you know, kind of what characterizes, you know, a servant and master or an employee and a boss relationship. The one thing that Jesus points out is, um, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. When you think about, the, I mean, you think about your boss, right? What do they do all day? Do you really know? I mean, they know what you're doing all day, but you don't know what they're doing. They're not telling you. They've got their own agenda. They've got their own calendar. They've got their own responsibilities. It's like they could just be like taking a nap all day for all you know. <laughs> Who knows? Um, you don't know what they're doing. But Jesus says, you know, it's not like that anymore. You know, I've, I've actually told you um, everything I've heard from my father. Um, but I think there's other things, you know, that characterize this relationship of master and servant. Um, master and servant is there's relational distance there. Right? Again, think about your boss. I mean, you might have a good boss, but even at the best boss, there's relational distance there. You, you probably wouldn't necessarily call that person your friend unless, you know, you have a great boss, which um, I think my staff would probably say that about me. So, um, and I bought myself the little world's best boss mug. Um, actually, I haven't, but I need to do that. Um, uh, another thing is that, you know, the relationship is it's forced. I mean, yeah, you get hired, right, and they hire you, but there's kind of this contractual nature to it, right? You're there to do a job, and if you don't do that job, then you get fired. Um, you obey because it's your job. It is what you're supposed to You get paid to obey and to, you know, show up on time and do your job. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's one-way service, right? It's, it's you as the employee serving, you know, the, the whatever, whatever it is that your boss and your, you know, the people over you are asking you to do. They're not necessarily serving you most of the time. And then, I mean, the last thing, I, these are just some things I was thinking of. The last thing is um, that often you don't enjoy whoever is your boss. It's not an enjoyable relationship oftentimes. Or at least when you think of an enjoyable relationship, my mind is not going to go to, oh, yeah, boss. That, that's, that's the thing I enjoy. That characterization, that's what Jesus has in mind for you to pick up, take it over here, and drop it in the trash. In terms of how he wants to relate to you primarily, is there work to be done? Yes. But it doesn't start there. Jesus is, he's more, he is, he wants your hands, but he wants your heart first. And he'll only really get your hands if he has your heart. And if you just try and give him your hands, well, he doesn't really end up getting either. Um, Scott Sauls, who wrote a great book that was very influential for me, it's called Befriend, said something along those lines, talking about it in terms of duty and delight. This idea that if you aim towards, in your relationship with God, if you aim towards delight, duty just follows behind. But if you aim towards duty, you don't get either. There's a, another part in the Gospels in Luke. Um, if you'd like to turn there, you can. I'm going to flip back. It's, just, it's in the Gospel of Luke, which is just the book right behind John. Luke 10 
And there's this encounter that happens that really, you know, I think puts a little bit of flesh on this skeleton of what Jesus is getting at here. It's at the very end of Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, and I'm just going to read this to you. It's the story, if you've heard it before, of Mary and Martha. So Luke 10, verse 38 says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So you, you get these two very different pictures of relating to Christ. You get Martha, who is distracted with serving, anxious, and what else does it say? And troubled about many things. And you get Mary, who's not doing anything. She is sitting down and just listening to Jesus' teacher. And isn't it, isn't it amazing, right? That what you, again, in our natural minds, you would expect is for Jesus to jump in and say, yeah, Mary, get up. Like, go over there. Help your sister out. Do you know who I am? <laughs> you know, like, make me some food or do something for me. And, and, and that's the exact opposite of what he says. He says, no, he actually rebukes you. He pushes back on, on Martha and says, that your sister Mary's actually chosen the better thing, which is to just be with me. And there's, she, there was this anxiety and this busyness in Martha's spirit um, that I think probably implies some degree of which, I mean, you can almost tell she's trying to get Jesus to, like, she's like desperately trying to get him to see, like, don't you see how much I'm doing for you? Uh, shouldn't you be patting me on the back? And what she gets is the exact opposite. It's a little, you know, uh, discipline almost versus Mary who Jesus says she's doing the right thing the better thing you know if I'm honest you know it, this time of year and it may be like for this for you too at the beginning of a new semester and all that you know I, I really identify with Martha with just being um, distracted with much serving right you can be doing all, so many good things and yet your heart is far from Christ there, there's there is that there is a relational distance there and you just kind of become a little shell of yourself and you kind of get hollowed out. Um, and that's what Jesus doesn't want. He doesn't want you to put so much effort into serving him and trying to get his attention and trying to get his approval that you actually miss him in the middle of it. That this is the kind of savior that we have. This is the kind of God that we have. The kind of king that you have is one who would say, no, I would rather you just come and sit at my feet and listen to me so that going back to John 15... You can be like a branch connected to my vine so you can bear fruit because otherwise, as Jesus goes on to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I don't know, you know, with that, those two ladies, Martha and Mary, you know, where you find yourself at today with that. You know, if, you're, if you have a more of a distracted and busy spirit about yourself, even if you're doing good things and godly things and churchly things and all the things, um, or is there a nearness to Christ, a settledness with him, that you recognize that 
no matter what you do, it's not going to make him love you anymore. No matter what you don't do, it's not going to make him love you any less. That settledness that actually then creates the energy to sustain your, him having your hands, so to speak. And doing the things that he calls you to do is just a follower of him. Um, and then all the specific tasks, you know, he gives us to do as his, as his people. So that's section one. Not primarily servants. Section two, though, and this is really where, so I want to go back to John 15. Not servants, section two, but friends. I want to read this again, starting in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does, does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. A friend, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that's so common, you almost don't need, you know, preacher guy to spell out what is it, right? But might as well, just to, to name it. Um, a friend is, 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 is really just someone that you have a chosen relationship of mutual affection with. So it's not a family member, although you can be friends with family members, but I mean, there's kind of a, to some degree, you're kind of just stuck with them for the most part. So good, bad, or ugly just is what it is, all right? Um, but not so with friends, right? You don't, I mean, you get to pick your friends. If you don't like somebody, I mean, you can just, you don't like them. Um, but there's mutual affection, right? It goes, it goes both ways. Um, to kind of contrast to that, you know, list of some things that characterize the servant and master relationship, I want to just go through some things that, you know, I think characterize the friendship relationship that God wants us to have, that Christ wants you to have with him. Um, a relationship that's personal and comfortable, almost. I mean, I'm just, I mean, can you imagine that that's actually what he wants you to feel around him? Personal and comfortable with him, at ease. You know, as opposed to the thing that Jesus tells us, you know, servants don't know what their master is doing. I mean, the opposite of that is friends, the best of friends, you talk about everything. There's, you don't hide anything. I mean, again, good, bad, and ugly. You're, you're just talking, it's just coming out. You're sharing your life. You're talking about everything. You're working through the hard stuff. You're celebrating the good stuff. Um, there's, not, there's not relational distance, but rather there's relational closeness. You really know each other. And it's not a forced relationship, but it, it's a chosen relationship. And the amazing thing that Jesus actually goes as fell is he actually says that he is the one who initiates the friendship with you. That's what he says. He says, you didn't choose me in verse 16. I chose you. That's one of the phenomenon that makes friendship difficult, especially as I've experienced this. You get further and further out of this you know, um, uh, I don't even know what you want to call it. I was going to call it a bubble. It's not the right thing. This little thing that cooks friendships in college. Microwave. Um, <laughs> oven. I don't know. Um, what do you cook with? Uh, this thing that helps you make friendships, right? You get further and further away from that, and it gets harder and harder to make relationships because you don't have these natural, you know, you're not living across the hall from each other, and you don't have... Um, you have responsibilities. I'm just kidding. College students, you have responsibilities too. You do. Um, but it gets harder. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've experienced it is you're almost like, okay, if this person doesn't initiate with me, then does that mean they don't want a friendship with me? And you kind of have to put yourself out there. You have to go out on a limb to, 
work at and say, okay, I'm going to initiate the friendship. Well, Jesus hasn't waited for you to start that with him. If he was going to wait for you to do that, it would never have happened. Right? The, the, the scriptures are very clear that we needed new hearts. You needed a new heart. That if it was up to you, you would, you would never choose him. You would never believe in him. Your heart wouldn't let you. He needed to give you a new heart that would believe in him. That faith is a gift. It's not a work. It's something that he actually enables you to, to do, to trust in him. Another characteristic is, um, you know, you don't obey because it's your duty like a boss, but, you know, you obey and you, you know, you do what each other wants because you want to. There's not one-way service, but there's a mutual service. And you know it's a bad or toxic relationship when one person's just always getting taken advantage of, or it's just one person always doing everything for the other person. But a true friendship, there's mutual serving, right? And so it is with Christ. One of the amazing things, again, one of the things that I'm blown away whenever I read Jesus saying that he actually came to be your servant. When he washed his disciples' feet, he said, I'm your servant. When he talks about who's the greatest in the kingdom and who's the least, he says, who's the greatest at a banquet? Those serving or those sitting at the table getting served? The people sitting getting served at the table, not the, not the waiters. He says, I'm the waiter. I'm the one who's come to serve you. And then lastly, it's not, you know, boss and employer. They should be often to enjoy each other. Friendships, I mean, it's the one relationship um, that, you know, you really, really enjoy one another. You really, really enjoy one another. That, right, that little gap you had of cut that out, drop it over here, that's what Jesus wants to import into your picture of the kinds he's try- the kind of relationship that he wants to have with you as one of two friends. Now, verse 13 is really important when Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for his friends. Jesus is saying that not to just kind of put some, you know, rosy, flowery language on here. He's saying that to prep them for what he's going to do. And this is true, that you would choose to take a bullet for somebody. I mean, I don't know if I can think of a greater love than that. Take a bullet for a friend. And Jesus is saying, that's what I'm about about to do for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to have the, the complete and full wrath of God poured out on me and absorbed and extinguished so that you can go free, so that I will remember your sins no more. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Um, I forget the reference, but there's a great proverb where it says, there, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I think it's interesting that it doesn't say friends stick closer than a brother. Now, I think, it's, I think you can apply that to friendships, and that's true. Sometimes, oftentimes, friends end up becoming closer than family. And they are there for you in times that maybe your family is not. But I also think it's pointing to Christ. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who would that friend be other than Christ? The one who would lay down his life for you, willingly go to the cross in your place, and take a bullet for you. Um, You may not want this kind of relational closeness with Jesus for whatever reason, whether it's shame or just indifference. But specifically, if it's shame, 
I think this, is, this should be a really big encouragement to you, that this is actually the kind of relational closeness that Jesus wants to have with you. Jesus is, um, Jesus is saying to you that he is your friend and that you are his friend if you do what he commands, which is what I want us to begin thinking about right now as we come to a close. Because if you, if you, if you look at this, in your Bible, it probably has verses 12 through 17 as a paragraph. And what I've been showing you is just right there in the middle. But it's actually bookended by the same thing. This point that Jesus is making that I am your friend and I have gone so far as to lay down or I will lay down my life for you. This is actually supporting something else. He's saying if you don't get that, if you don't get that you're not primarily my servants, that you're primarily my friends, then you will actually fail at this, which is where Jesus starts and ends. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. Earlier in in the farewell discourse in John 13, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. And then he says the same thing, that you love one another. What's what's new about that? Or what's, what's distinctive just to Jesus about that? What he adds on to that, he says, love one another as I have loved you. That is the thing that completely informs and changes and transforms our relationship, right? If it's just love one another, it's at best going to be fake niceness and at worst going to be giving up on each other. But when it's as I have loved you, when it's, when it's filled with that, right? Because this is the reality. And he's talking, he's saying love one another, right? He's talking to the household of faith. He's not even talking about people who don't follow him. He's talking about us. He's talking about the people you're sitting next to right now. Jesus was, was, re, was really concerned with um, the quality of relationships amongst his people because also in John 13, he says, by your love for one another is actually the way that the world will know that you are my disciples. So actually, the mission depends a lot on the quality of our relationships, which is the fruit, which is connected to how much each of you, how much each of us individually see Jesus's love for us as our friend, the one who laid his life down for us. I think what Jesus is getting at, and then he, he, go, he wraps up this section the same way. He said, all these things I've commanded you so that you'll love one another. Jesus really cares about this. That our, as you know, 1 Corinthians 13 draws out the picture of love, that, you know, it's patient and kind. It's not rude. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. All those things it's like, he's, it's like he's saying, he wants you to, to think, he wants you to believe in yourself. If Jesus could befriend me, who couldn't I befriend? Love one another as I have loved you. Do you recognize the depth that he had to go to love you? I was listening to a sermon on an unrelated passage um, by, uh, by a pastor that I um, look up to and respect a lot, Ray Orland, and he said something that totally connected with this passage as I was thinking about it. And he just was talking about the same idea, but from a different passage, and he was just saying, what if we stopped losing friends? What if we, what if we started fighting for one another, which always requires sacrifice, right? That's what this is. As I've loved you, sacrifice. It takes laying down our life. We naturally, when it gets hard, we want to... We want to leave. We want to find another church. I'm talking specifically our members. We want to find another church. 
And there is a time and a place for that, right? There's also a time and a place to fight for one another and to bear the pain of having to forgive one another or to receive that forgiveness and to stick it out with one another. That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what he wants you to do. And it's because he is your friend. He says, I want that relationship. I want our friendship, that, that vertical friendship, to get played out imperfectly, but persistently, consistently played out in our relationships. In just a moment, um, we're going to come to the table and celebrate you know, this, this good news that Jesus has made us into his friends. And so even now, just as you've been hearing God's word and as the Spirit's been using his word to speak to you, um, whatever he's speaking to you about, um, the nature of his relationship with you, that he wants it to be that of a friend, and he's the one who's laid down his life for you, that's what we're coming to remember. And what we're going to do today is we've done it before, but not recently, um, because Jesus is always making this connection between gospel doctrine and gospel culture, how, it's, how that good news is meant to make a good news community, where there is love, there is forgiveness, there is bearing up with one another. Um, what we're going to do is these two stations are going to operate a little bit differently. If you would like to just have some time with you and Jesus, you're welcome to do that. What you're going to do is you're going to, in just a moment, you'll come, you'll get the elements and go back to where you're sitting and just spend some time with Jesus. And when you're ready, you can uh, partake of the elements. Um, if you would like to do this with others, what we're going to open up over here is for you to come forward. And uh, when you come forward, you'll get one of the elements. You'll turn around. We'll have the words on the screen. And what you'll, you'll look your brother or sister in the eyes and say to them is what Jesus said, that he wanted us to remember that these, these, what these elements represent, that it's his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. That is what makes possible the transformation of our relationship with God, the transformation of our relationships with one another. And so you'll just turn around, you'll hand the person uh, behind you those elements and say those words to them, and then we'll just keep going down the line. So um, during this time, if you're here and you don't, uh, you're not a Christian, you would not identify as a follower of Christ, I want to just be very clear how glad we are that you have taken, you know, an hour and some change to spend time with us and to be with us. So thank you. Um, but I would ask that you not partic or participate in this time. Um, this is, we're communing with one another. We're communing with Christ. It's something that we take really, uh, we don't hold it lightly. And so uh, we just invite you to remain seated and um, think and even pray about what you've heard. And so um, so I want to invite you to come. Feast on Christ in your hearts by faith and be thankful. So come whenever you're ready. We are so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com, where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at antiochbhm.com. Go in peace.